Excuse me. Ah! Oh no! No! Why? Oh no! Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from Sandals Church, where Pastor Matt Brown brings real answers to tough questions from the Bible, from his sermons, from anywhere you can uh, send them at us from. I'm your host, Justin Party, and I'm here with my friends Skittles and the Prime Minister. Yes, the PMB. <laughs> exactly. Skittles? Yeah. The Prime Minister of Preaching. I'm working on it. Yeah, exactly. I like Skittles. Skittles. Yeah. Stephanie mm-hmm. Skittles Schaefer. Yeah. Because you're all about the S's now. Skittles, they're, they're fun. Your nicknames yeah. are weak. <clears throat> yeah. You have, though, you've but. not presented one for Stephanie yet this whole time. You've I'm had one. How long have you been married? Six months? I'm nine still, months? Yeah. A five year? Month, five months? Five months. I'm embittered about the name change. Okay, fair enough. I'm sorry. Well, Pastor Matt and I are hanging out with Dolores. We got great <laughs> questions, good answers, all kinds of good stuff for you guys. Uh, it's going to be a good one. Before we get into this, we literally, I think we have like 100 questions. We're going to try and blow them Oh, yeah, here. at least. Before we do that, we got to leave you guys with this beautiful five-star review that came yes. in from Matt Daddy 10 related to you. In any way, shape, or form? Uh, I'm I'm not Matt Daddy. All right, fair enough. It's not, and it's not your daddy. This, uh, hold on. Matt Daddy has a hubby, so here we go. I know. Matt, I think maybe she stole her husband's iTunes. Is my guess. Okay, well there you go. Matt, my hubby and I started listening to the. D- I can't read. It. I I can't say hubby and feel comfortable about <laughs> Would it. Would you like I'm, me to read this review? Yeah, that. I also like. That it's titled it. "Too Legit to Quit." This mm, five star yes. review it says, "My hubby and I started listening to the debrief from episode zero on a road trip several weeks ago, and we love it. We're working our way through all of them now. Keep them coming. Love digging in and getting more insight on these past sermons, and really enjoy the conversations that have started based on what we're hearing on the debrief. Love you guys. Mm, love you too. Matt and Daddy I love Ken. long long drives. That's great. Yeah, if they're mm-hmm. if they're all the way back at the beginning, she's probably not going to hear this review for yeah, who knows months years. Well, she yes. talks about uh, getting some insight on these past sermons, so maybe she's also oh. mm. staying current okay. and going through. You the can archives. double down." Yeah, yeah, that's right. Go back want, into the people. future. Welcome to the future, Matt Daddy Tim. We're hoping you're enjoy- hoping hoping hope you find it positive. Wow. Mm. Is English your first language? Maybe she could write in and tell us if you've gotten better or worse over the, the <laughs> years a, or so that's that a good one. That's a great idea. Well, let's jump right into it. We've got all kinds of questions. People have been uh, sending in. We've got a ton of follow-up questions from the last couple of uh, couple of episodes. So th- this is great because these are where we get answers to questions about answers to questions. So let's follow up. That's right. This first follow-up question comes from Andrew, and he asks, My community group was talking about your message from this weekend, and we were interested in the idea of hell being personal. We agreed that it's misery to be separate from God, but do you think people who actively do bad things will be judged more harshly than those who passively think that God isn't for them and live so-called good lives? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the evangelical Christian problems that's unique to uh, Protestant Christianity is, uh, you know, Catholics have an understanding of different sins. So there's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Venial sins, and then there's sins that lead unto death. What so, word? Venial? Yeah, what venial. That? So I don't know if you have to ask a Catholic person what that means, but basically it means sins that can be forgiven and not forgiven. So I, I believe all sins can be forgiven, but what Catholics do really well is they portray uh, sin and their understanding of it that it's different. And so in the Old Testament, really, there's two mm-hmm. understandings of sin. So one, is, one word is iniquity, and the other word is transgression. And so the idea of iniquity is... It's just, you know, sin, mistakes that you make and things that you do are wrong, but it's not intentional. A transgression uh, literally means to, you know, like give God the middle finger and say, I don't care. I, I know what's right and I don't care and I'm going mm-hmm. to do what I want anyways. And so God judges those things in a different manner and in a different way. And so, yes, um, hell will be personal and uh, because it's going to be suited to the individual uh, for what they've done. And so 
Um, I think that that's very, very clear. You can go back to our podcast on Luke chapter 12, where Jesus specifically talks to his uh, supposed followers and what's going to happen to them. And uh, some of the servants are beaten. Some of the servants are um, literally just lashed out at and one is ripped apart. So it's very, very clear that Jesus wants us to know that, man, you need to pay attention to that. So yes, absolutely. That is, that's what the Bible teaches. So got it. I just looked up venial sin, real, real thing. So and it means we what? Educated. It says, uh, a lesser sin that does not result in a complete separation from God and eternal damnation in hell as an unrepented mortal sin would. Mm. So yeah, there it is. All right. All right. So we have another follow-up question. This came from DK. After hearing you speak about tragedy and the real possibility of Jesus coming back soon, I realized how fearful I am of this happening. I know I have salvation through Jesus Christ and I trust the Lord. However, I can't seem to grasp what the end times will be like. Do you have any recommendations of books or verses that would explain more and help turn my fear into excitement for Jesus coming back? I don't think there's any books in the end times that are going to help turn your, <laughs> your uh, right. fear into excitement. And <laughs> because they all focus on the negative and, and, the, and the terrorizing aspects, just know this as a Christian, um, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's coming back to get you. That's the promise of John 14. He says, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come back for you. So, so his return is he's coming back for us. We will be taken up with him as uh, 1 Thessalonians says, and we're gonna be with God and we'll be with him forever. So I don't think you need to, worry about that. But, you know, and, and churches disagree on on when in the process of the tribulation are we going to be taken. Some believe it's pre-trib, some believe it's in the middle, and some believe it's towards the end. And I, I think that there are good cases for all of those. But, um, um, you know, I, I just got to understand that, look, things are going to get difficult, but our faith is in God and he's going to get us through that. And I actually look forward to it because I, I want this suffering. You know, I did a funeral last night for somebody who uh, whose life was taken um at Vegas last week, Brian um, Frazier was his name. He's 39 years old, four kids. Mm -hmm. And I had to pray with his wife. And there's just so much suffering and pain on this earth. I'm ready for the new earth. I'm ready for the new life. I'm ready for the new world where all of those things go away. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. But um, I, I believe that God is going to allow things to get worse. And that's a part of his plan to wake us up. And that's what I said at the vigil last night is, you know, there was, I don't know, a couple thousand people there. And I said, some of you've never, ever thought about life after death. And so Brian losing his life is, is a gift for you because you may come to eternal life. Mm. And so this is an opportunity. And so that's where I think, you know, hopefully uh, during the tribulation that people will wake up, although revelation seems to indicate that people's hearts will continually be hardened. Mm. So as God pours out his wrath, God pours out his judgment, people will get more hardened in heart towards God. So that's tragic. Just Just continue to pray that God would soften your heart and just know that, you know, I mean, the world is already scary. It's all—it's already pointing to all of these things. Um, and just trust that, you know, your life and your soul is in the hands of Jesus and he promised nothing can snatch it out of his hands. And so I just would continue to focus on him rather than the end times. Because I think if you focus on the end times, a lot of people become overly focused on that. And they're not, they're not really good at reaching, loving their neighbor and doing the things that God's commanded us. Um, so Jesus commands us to pay attention and to be aware and not mm -hmm. to be caught off guard. And so I would just encourage every one of you who calls yourself a Christian, there's events that are happening that need to heighten your awareness, that you need to be, hey, okay, there's things that are happening right now that Jesus indicated would be a sign of the end times. And so, but having said that, we've been in the end times since Jesus ascended. The moment he ascended, that's, that's the end times have begun. And so Christ could come at any moment and we need to be ready, we need to be prepared and we need to be right, so. Hmm. You know, I was thinking it was, 
just about 10 years ago when Lindy and I had our first miscarriage. And I remember the day or two, one or two days after driving down on a long trip to San Diego for a business trip in the morning. And I remember having to pull over on the 15 freeway just because I just got overwhelmed with just this emotion of wanting Jesus to come back. And it was the first time I ever had that happen, right? Mm -hmm. You know, probably one of the, at that point in my life, the greatest personal suffering I'd ever really felt or experienced because I've been extraordinarily blessed in the life that I live. And that was about 10 years ago. You know, was it last week or the week before that we had our staff, we had our spiritual retreat, we got away for a Mm -hmm. day or two. And one of the morning times we had of just a worship out under a tree, we were like worshiping together. And it was so powerful for me just because as we're singing, worshiping, my wife, my, my life is in a great place right now. And for the first time in 10 years, like I really had that feeling come mm-hmm. back again. It was beautiful. Uh, and this time it wasn't about like suffering or I'm hurting. It just was, you know, over the last 10 years I've matured and I've grown in my relationship with Jesus. And I, you know, I think, I don't know, I think I genuinely would like to spend eternity um, in the plan and the place that he's laid out for us. And it was part, part of that's just the journey of life that, mm-hmm. that I've mm-hmm. gone on with there. I just love that phrasing of about being excited for Jesus yeah. coming back. I think mm-hmm. there's a, I think that's a great, great, you know, ambition, you know? Yeah. yeah absolutely. And so, and, and rather than maybe focusing on the end times, focus on heaven. I actually think I'm going to preach on that this weekend. Oh. I'm going to preach mm-hmm. about heaven because it fits in with revelation um, with all the races coming mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. racism being end ended. Um, I think that we, we don't think about heaven enough and mm-hmm. the excitement of, of what that means and, and what that's gonna be like and, and how incredible that's gonna be. And so remember the return of Jesus, he brings heaven with him and all of his gifts and his rewards for those who have loved him and sacrificed for him and dedicated their lives to him. And so I'm super excited about that. And um, I think that we need to focus on that rather than the terror of the end times mm-hmm. because all of that's gonna pass away. Mm-hmm. And then what's gonna be for all eternity is no more sickness, no more death, no more racism, you know, no more poverty. Think about that. There's no more poverty. Christ is gonna come and heal all of that. So it's gonna be awesome. All right, this next question comes in from Anonymous who says, I'm currently reading Leviticus and in chapter 25, God says Israelites should not rule over another Israelites, but it's okay if a stranger living among them is a permanent slave. There are also numerous examples in the Old Testament where God favors his chosen people over other groups and even exterminates them. Can you please help me understand why this is if God doesn't want us to be racist or play favorites? Yeah, absolutely. So the Old Testament is a challenging book to understand um, and I think that you can come across many, many verses in Leviticus or uh, any of the Torah, that's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, that can really, really throw you for a loop because you're reading ancient verses um, you know, that, that were written specifically to the people that lived in those times. And so as Christians who live in the 21st century, we have to be careful that we don't read our morality and our current understanding of culture back into that. Mm-hmm. So here's what you need to know about um, what the Bible has to say about slaves 3,000 years ago when these scriptures are being written. They were extraordinarily revolutionary. So you read it and you say, oh, well, they were slaves. Well, that's terrible, awful. God can't possibly be good. But here's what the Bible says about slaves in the Bible. 3,000 years ago, slaves have rights. They're still human beings. Mm -hmm. That was unheard of. For example, um, uh, Exodus 21, 20, if a man beats his male or female slave with a club and the slave dies as a result, the owner must be punished. Hmm. Why? Because it's still a person. Um, next, you know, if a man hits a male or female slave in the eye, this is Exodus 21, and the eye is blinded, he must let the slave go for free and compensate for the eye. Hmm. 3,000 years ago, mm-hmm. this is still a person. It's not just your property. <laughs> so 
Uh, slavery was the economy of the world. It's the way things were practiced, but slaves had no rights. They were seen as property. And what the Bible says is, no, that's still a person and you must respect them as a person. And oh, by the way, you were slaves when I called you. You need to remember that. And so um, also uh, Exodus 23, slaves get a day off, the Sabbath. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things. Uh, slaves are, are able to uh, inherit property. Uh, they're able to get married. Uh, they were able to do all kinds of things. Um, slaves were even allowed to share in the food that was dedicated at the altar if you were a slave to a priest. I mean, slaves had amazing, amazing rights. Um, in the New Testament though, so you have to read in the New Testament, um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians seven twenty one, are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. So the New Testament says, look, if there's an opportunity for freedom, you should take that. You should do that. Um, slaves were excuse me, treated as equals in worship. So when you came to church, you were equals. You were not a slave in worship. You were an equal to your master. Uh, Christians were challenged to treat their slaves well. Uh, the Bible condemns slave traders. Mm -hmm. So First uh, Timothy 1.10, the law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or listen to this, or are slave traders, hmm. liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts wholesome teaching. So the Bible condemns <clears throat> the economy of trading slaves. Mm -hmm. And it speaks about that. So you have to understand that um, here, here's the question in the ancient world. So you go to war with the people and that's really what you're struggling with. You go to war. And so nowadays, you know, we, we all want to believe that there's peace and there's happiness and whatever. We'll try negotiating with that uh, leader from North Korea. Good luck with that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's no other way to deal with things other than to fight. And so God teaches um, uh, the Israel people to fight and to win. And so they do that. They have to survive. They're a small people. They're living in a land where, they, where, where God is not worshiped and they're trying to fight and earn their freedom. And this is the way God works. You know, God doesn't want to give us things, but he wants to help us to understand them. And the way that the Israelites inherited their freedom is God gave it to them, but they had to fight for it. They actually had to conquer the land. Okay. So they have to participate in that. And so um, they, they, they fight. So then what do you do with the people who are alive after the war is over? Well, you know, you, you take them into your home and they become slaves, but they're treated well, they're taken care of, you know, they're fed, they're clothed. And, you know, if you're, if you're overly harsh, they have rights. And so you just have to understand that for the time, this is extraordinary teaching and unheard of. Mm -hmm. What the Jews were doing, nobody else was doing. You know, everybody else was treating slaves as, you know, we think of American slavery, terrible, awful, no rights, completely de dehumanizing. Um, you know, the things that happened in America, slavery were just ridiculous. I mean, there, there, there was no law in America. If you, if you knock out your slave's eye, slave's eye you have to set them free. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that was crazy, but the Bible says that. Is there a reason God would have not just gone all the way in setting up these guidelines of saying, you know, treat them well, period? Like, don't, well, I, don't make them slaves in the first place? Yeah, see, I, and again, I think we think of, in our world, we think of slavery as bad, where in the ancient world, slavery was just a part of life. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was just something that, you know, they, they would have understood. And so God is moving through history and is, I believe in a thing called progressive revelation. So God is revealing as much of himself to people as they can embrace in their culture and their time. And so God is revealing himself more and more and more and more and more. And ultimately the revelation is through Jesus Christ. And, and, and he reveals God completely to us, who God is, what his heart is. And that's why in the New Testament, we see slaves having extraordinary rights and they're, they're taught, hey, yeah, if you can get free, get free. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is even in the time of Jesus, slaves were educated oftentimes more so than their masters. Um, and so now here's the challenge. Let's, let's say you're, you're, a, you're a dad and you have three kids and you can't pay any of your bills. What, what do you do? 
Well, nowadays, what you would have to do is go get a loan. Mm -hmm. So you would go get a loan and not for a lot of money and you would pay extraordinary interest <clears throat> in our culture. Yeah. So, you know, get, ca get cash quick, you know. But yeah. let's say you need a hundred grand. Mm -hmm. Your kid needs an operation or a surgery. Well, in the ancient world, you could sell yourself. Mm. And, and so it was an opportunity to pay off debt, to take care of something that you needed. And the understanding was that at some point in the future, you would be able to earn yourself back or buy yourself out. And so the Bible even gives indications of that. So the year of Jubilee on the seventh year, you set him free. Now that was for Jewish slaves um, that sold themselves into temporary bondage. But the idea was there, the concept was there that you need to release and give people freedom. And so just understand, you know, like everybody quotes an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And everybody thinks that that's really bad. Oh, that's so evil. Actually, it's not. Mm -hmm. What it's saying is it's limiting retribution. Mm -hmm. So if Stephanie's husband knocks out my eye, all I can do is punch Tyler in the face and take out his eye. Mm -hmm. I can't. It's a, it's a pretty powerful Listen, punch. I can't kill Tyler, kill Stephanie, and kill all their kids. Sweet. That's evil. See what I'm saying? It's, it's actually, that's what's so sad is, and, and that's the problem when you read the Bible from your perspective is, Oftentimes you're, you're not reading it from an ancient perspective. It's really limiting you on how you can act out on a crime that's been committed to you because okay. God, God says that vengeance is his. He's the only one that can do that. So you have to limit that. And so nowadays we think of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth as something evil, but actually the people that first heard it was like, oh, okay, so I can, I have to stop. Hmm. I can't, I can't go beyond what's, you know, uh, you know, a normal retribution here. So you, you, you can't just kill everybody that's involved. Mm -hmm. And that's what human beings do. So it's just difficult. And I know for those of you who are growing in your faith, you're reading an ancient book. Mm -hmm. you're, you're reading a book that's thousands of years old that was written to a specific culture in a specific time. And so what we have to learn is principles. And so Jesus summarizes all those teachings with this, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, that's the guiding principle. And it wasn't just the guiding principle that Jesus understood. It was also the guiding principle that Pharisees understood, the religious teachers of the day. So the guiding principle is love God, love your neighbor. The Bible helps them in their context to understand what that means. So how, how do I love my neighbor? Well, you must treat them well. And think about this for all of you who think that the Bible's terrible because they had slaves. If you knock out his tooth, he's free. And you got to compensate for the tooth. Mm -hmm. So now not only is the guy free or the gal free, and not only this, if you marry a slave in the Old Testament, she has full rights as a bride. She's not property. Mm -hmm. She is your husband's wife. That's, that, that, I can't describe to you how extraordinary that is yeah. in an ancient world. She is not your sex slave. She is your wife and she is to receive full rights as a wife. Mm -hmm. Pretty powerful. Pretty incredible. And so again, you know, that's why all these people who throw out these verses and think that they're so smart, they, they don't, man, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So. All right. This next question comes in from Ian and he says, I once heard a political science professor say that those who hold the power in American society are the true racists and those who have no power or are oppressed simply cannot be racist. Is she right? Can racism only come from those who have power? Yeah. So this is a recent political science development that was not taught when I was in school. That's, that's more modern thought. I don't agree with it. I think that People who are in our power can oppress. Anybody can be racist. I just don't agree with the premise. Mm -hmm. um, so racism though, um, you know, like if, you, if, if you're sitting in your house and you're racist and you hate people with the last name Brown and you mm -hmm. can't stand them, that doesn't affect me or impact me. Mm -hmm. But if you're my boss and you have power over me and you hate people with the last name Brown, then that, that affects me. And so your, your racism can oppress me. And so 
um, you know, I, I just I just don't agree with that. Uh, that I think that racism can be oppressive, but you know, economic systems can be oppressive. There's all kinds of things that can be oppressed. People are opp- are oppressed for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, it is racism. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, it is racism that is motivating that. And I think that was a big part of our culture in the past. I think it's a much less part of our culture in the present. Um, I just I just think you know, again those of us who are Christians and we have businesses and we employ people, we want to take care of them. We want to make sure that we empower them to, to rise, to develop, to get better. Uh, you know, just like we do at Sandals Church, we give our employees opportunities to get education. We encourage our employees to rise in our organization. We want to make sure that they're taken care of, that they have benefits. Like we do all of those things because we want to allow people at Sandals Church to live to their fullest potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that that's what Christians should do in their organizations is they should not be looking to make as much money off as their employees, but they should look at their employees as brothers and sisters in Christ. And how can we together bless one another? And so I believe that employees at Sandals Church bless me. And uh, and again, it's a little weird because, you know, if Sandals was a business, I'd be a millionaire. So it's not a business, so I'm yeah. not. Um, well, I guess it is a business, but I'm, I'm not in it for that reason. But Hold on, clarify what you just said. Church is a business? Yeah. Just clarify it really quick. Well, we get sued and we have to have lawyers. We have to exist with laws. We have employees. Like, yeah. I mean, it, right. There's a part of it that that's just the part of our culture. And yeah. so, um, and that's another thing, you know, if you're not going to read about business principles for the church in the new <laughs> Testament, because they wouldn't have understood it that way because they didn't live in a culture that regulated how you worshiped mm-hmm. and what you, what you do with employees. And so, um, so yeah, that's what I mean by that. Gotcha. Okay, so Stacy says, it's hard to build a relationship with my dad because he is mean and says horrible things about other races. My husband and I do not tolerate it and call him out when he says racist things, but it makes it hard to have a relationship with him that is more than just surface level. What advice would you give to someone who has a parent that is a blatant racist? Yeah, I would just encourage you to talk with your dad. And so, you know, for anyone who's racist, here's the long-term consequence uh, of racism in your family. Your kids are going to awaken to the fact that that's stupid. Because they're going to encounter um, people of, of color and different ethnicities that are awesome. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to completely subvert all moral teaching that that grandfather is instilling in people. And so what often happens, and here's what kids do, is if a parent is off morally in one area, what mm-hmm. the children do is they throw off every area of morality and it negatively affects the children. And so I would just share that with your your dad and say, dad, there are some things that I want my kids to learn from you, but you are going to prevent them from learning anything from you because you are so off in this area. And you know, I love you, I care for you, but this is something that needs to be changed in your heart. And so, you know, racism, especially amongst older people, it comes from various things. Sometimes it, it, it comes from culture, that's how they were raised. But you know what I found? Sometimes there's a wound there. Mm-hmm. You know, we had this question a couple of weeks ago about, um, her mother's response to the Japanese people. Yeah. There's a real wound there. And so for my grandmother, she she just had a negative reaction to all Asian people because when America went to war with Japan, and my, my grandma doesn't know the difference between Filipino, Japanese, mm-hmm. Taiwanese, Chinese. She, she didn't understand any of that. Um, she had an aversion to all Asian people. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Her last five years of her life, her pastor was Filipino. And she had to work through that, but he helped her heal from that. And, and, and it helped her realize, okay, not, not all Asian people are evil because in the 1940s, the, the war with an Asian people group forever altered her life. Her life was never the same. And there was a wound there. So I would just ask, you know, dad, 
has something happened with you? Have you had an encounter? The same thing is true of black people. If black people have one or two or three negative racist encounters with white people, oftentimes they don't like white people. Mm. And it's like, okay, not every white per- person represents all people groups. You know, um, you know, I, I've received death threats from gay groups. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Does that represent all gay, gay people? Does that represent Ellen DeGeneres? I don't think so. I think Ellen DeGeneres is probably a pretty good person. Mm-hmm. But we, we got to be careful that we don't let a person or a group of people represent all people. Mm-hmm. Every individual does their own thing. So, you know, were they raised that way? And then you just say, dad, you know, dad, I don't want to raise my kids that way. And ultimately, if this becomes a problem with our children, we're not coming. Mm-hmm. And that's, man, that's, that's a real difficult law, uh, line to draw but you might have to you might have to draw it because you don't want your kids to be around that because it's evil. Yeah. And so, you know, just say, Dad, I love you. I want to respect you. I want to honor you, but we don't want this sin to continue. And we want to protect our kids from that. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry for you. I'll be praying for you and your dad. And, you know, I, I think racism is a sin that can be healed. I've seen it healed in the lives of people. And I'll be praying for your dad that um that he can find God's mercy and understand that all of the peoples are blessed by God and loved by God. So I'll be praying for that. And don't give up, man. God can do radical, radical things and God can do amazing uh, healings. I was talking to a black pastor who uh, went to jail for two years for a crime he committed. And he actually had a white supremacist roommate, which Mm. I can't remember why that happened or how that happened. Maybe they weren't roommates, but they had library time together. That's Mm -hmm. what it was. And they struck up a conversation and he ultimately led this white supremacist to Christ. Mm. Um, And so, man- you know, if a white supremacist can be led to Christ in prison, there's hope for your dad. Mm. So just keep trusting, keep believing. But you gotta, there's a great book by Cloud and Townsend. It's called Boundaries. I would encourage you to read it and you've got to develop healthy boundaries with your dad. Yeah, you know, I actually, um, when when we started to have kids, uh, my dad was not a Christian when we were growing up and he had some pornography in the house, or, well, back in the garage that was essentially what I discovered when I got addicted to pornography is a pretty early age. And then he became a Christian and I think it just all stayed back there. He never dealt with it or whatever. But I just told him, hey, before we come over here with my boys, like this is not something that I want at your house. And I leveraged their, you know, that change in my life to have a tough conversation Mm -hmm. with my dad that I probably had been wanting to have for a while. So, and it turned out beautifully. So yeah, yeah. encouragement for you, Stacey. Yeah. All right. Our last follow-up question comes in from Megan. And she says, I really identified with your statement a couple weeks ago about being too liberal to be Republican and too conservative to be Democrat. However, my husband is very conservative and we disagree on a lot of hot button issues. How can two stubborn people learn to disagree or learn to agree to disagree and drop the issues? How can we love each other while still having such different ideas? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think my wife and I agree on a lot of things. So uh, what you have to what you have to decide is w- what are the things that are worth discussing and what are the things that just aren't worth discussing. So that that's what you have to do is you have to figure out, um, you know, there just are some things that you're going to see differently. Sometimes that's because you're a woman and he's a man and we see things differently. And so you have to understand that and embrace that and and work through that. I think there's a lot of couples that disagree politically on on issues and um, you just have to figure out what you know. Don't major on the minors. You know, make sure that it's it's a big deal issue. And just try to love your husband and appreciate him and, and try to have him, you know, love and appreciate you. And what I would encourage you to do is don't debate issues, but share your heart and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is why I feel this way about this issue. And uh, if you love each other, you want to hear each other's hearts on the Mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. So 
that's what I would encourage you to do. Awesome. Okay, well, we're going to close out all this follow-up stuff and jump into a whole bunch of off-topic questions that we've been uh, storing up lately. Before we do that, you know, we've got to we got to give a shout out to Joshua. So oh, yeah. Joshua wrote in two episodes ago. We asked one of his questions when Dex was with us, and we were tackling racism. In the first time, for the first time in the history of our show, someone wrote in to say thank you for an answer to the question. Mm-hmm. And Joshua, I just want to give you a shout out. I thought that yeah. was super awesome, and he specifically said how he was he learned a lot, was trying yeah. to change. Realizes he needs to not view things from his own experience. I think like you guys both kind of like got into him a little bit with yeah. this question. You know? It was awesome. So. Cool. Well, thank you. The first thank you we've ever received for a question was from an answer that was not all of that, all that, all very friendly. So <laughs> uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, good testament to you, Joshua. So God's doing a lot of cool things in a lot of our hearts uh, through this, but let's jump into all kinds of random stuff. We've got a bunch of these stored up, so we're going to try and get through as many of these as possible. The first one comes from Ariel. Pastor Matt said that he is a noticer and that Jesus was a noticer too. This is not something I can say about myself and I feel awful about it. Is it okay that I'm not a noticer and I feel like I never will be? Should I pray to change the way I am? Well, I think that, I, first of all, you are a noticer because you notice that you don't notice. So mm. there you go. So, yeah. Not really uh, tweetable, but yeah. interesting. That's good. good. So I good think you noticing. are noticing things in you. So you're being real with yourself, and I think that's great. So obviously, God gives us each different gifts, different abilities, and we have different strengths, including you know our personalities. So I think that you need to be who you are but just try to improve it just a little bit. So that, that's what I would say is try to notice. Uh, maybe you're not going to be like me because I almost feel like my noticing's a curse sometimes because <laughs> I notice everything. So, um, and I have to learn to kind of, you know, weed out all everything that I'm paying attention to. So um, I, I just would say, God, help me to notice what you want me to notice. Mm-hmm. Help, help me to minister to the people that you want me to minister to. And so um, like last night um, I did the Brian Frazier mm-hmm. uh, vigil and I was, praying, God, help me to notice all of those people in the crowd that are paying attention, who are ready to make a spiritual decision. I want to notice them. I want to notice your spirit and be sensitive to your spirit so that I can speak straight to their hearts. Because I can't lead anyone to Christ unless God is leading them to himself. Mm-hmm. And so I want to notice those people. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I just tell you what, there was a guy who came up to me uh, afterwards and he said, I'm going to go to your church. Mm-hmm. He said, I've never been to church, but I want to go to your church. You know what he said to me? I want you to remember me mm. when I come. Mm. He wants to be noticed. And I said, I will make sure you come up and you say hi. It was a really, really powerful moment. And so, you know, when people come, especially to a big church, they don't want to be ignored. They want to be seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, first off by God, but second off by us as Christians who are present and we need to see them and we need to pray with them. And, and uh, you know, just I'm just thinking real quickly, this weekend we had uh, an, an altar call, an mm-hmm. invitation for people to come to Christ. And some of the cool um, encounters I had is with people who prayed with people sitting next to them who didn't go forward. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And if you're not if you're not paying attention in the worship service, and you're going to be totally focused on what's happening up front, but they saw the person next to them and they said, "Oh my gosh, are you okay?" And people prayed with people in the seats. Yeah, and that doesn't happen mm-hmm. if you don't notice them. Yep. And you got to see them. You got to pay attention. And uh, and I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, I just was going to say that's probably. Probably whenever you attend church this weekend in the lobbies as you're sitting down before and after service is a great time to practice noticing and looking for other people. So it's awesome that you shared that. That's a great. I think as a society, we are generally clueless of others. Mm-hmm. I, and I think there's a negative attribute uh, of American culture. And it's a really, really awful thing. We're so self-centered. We don't see anybody else. Mm. Totally. 
All right, this next question comes in from Anonymous. It says, is a husband or wife considered unfaithful when they choose to look at porn and masturbate to it? Some people say that looking at or masturbating to porn is not unfaithful because it's not a real person. Yeah, of course it's a real person. I mean, unless you're, I guess you're looking at cartoon images. Mm -hmm. But even that, I mean, you're, you're viewing... Um, you're, you're viewing sexual sin. So sexual sin is, is any sex outside the context of consensual sex between a husband and a wife. And so even if you say, well, they're married, yeah, but you're watching them have, have sex. You, yeah. You're invading something that's supposed to be intimate and private. But most of the pornography is not amongst married people. So you're right. actually viewing adultery is what you're viewing. Mm -hmm. These people are not married together. So you're watching them sin and, and you're, you're participating in it with you. The, the Greek word for sexual sin is pornea, which is where we get our English word pornography. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely, it's a sexual sin. God gave, uh, God gave the gift of sex to us to be embraced in intimacy between a husband and a wife. And it's something that's supposed to be very, very special and unique between the two. When you start to go outside of that, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to start to positively view the images that you're seeing on the screen and you're gonna start criticizing the view of your husband or your wife, mm -hmm. right? Uh, not everybody's genitals are the same size. Not everybody's breasts are the same size. Not everybody's skin is the same color or, you know, er, right? You're going to notice nuances and what that's gonna do is it's going to diminish the arousal and the excitement that you have for your spouse. And yeah. um, it's, just, it's just not going to make you appreciate and help build intimacy and connection between the two. And so here's the other reason that I'm against um, masturbating and looking at porn is you are creating a false sense of reality. And so when you engage in intimacy with your spouse, with your um, husband or your wife, you're going to have trained your mind to go somewhere where it's not. And it's mm -hmm. gonna be very hard for you to connect with a real person. And this is not my opinion. The research is coming in in droves and many, many people who view pornography get to the point where they actually can't have sex with a real person. Yeah. That, that's the long-term effect because you are used to being so stimulated and looking at literally some, some men and women have to view hundreds of images before a guy can get an erection or before a girl can feel aroused because you've just destroyed those pathways in your brain. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, I mean, you know, that, that makes intimacy uh, not good if, if you can't get excited because of all the things that you've viewed. And so um, I just would encourage you to, to turn away from that. It is a sin. It's not good for you. It's not good for your intimacy. Anybody, man, anybody who says, well, we need to view porn because it enhances our arousal. You need to go to counseling and figure out what's wrong with your relationship emotionally and spiritually and work on those things because I think a healthy sex life in a marriage is the result of a healthy spiritual and emotional life. Mm -hmm. Focus on those two things and connect with each other. And uh, I would just encourage you to do that. You want to focus your sexual energy on your spouse. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and in our world, that's a challenge, not just the pornography, but with the way women are dressed. I was at the gym the other day. So a woman was wearing complete black t-shirt like me, except right here was, was uh, I don't know what you call it, um, mesh, mesh or- Mesh or something? Yeah. I'm like, I can see your boobs. Hmm. Like, what the heck is this? Hmm. I, I, I could not believe a person would wear that. I, I, it was just like, what is, oh my gosh. So- Anyways, I sound like an old man, but I'm just like, what is going on yeah. with the way people, and I'm sorry I said boobs, I meant to say breasts, but well, eh, I, I didn't think breasts when I saw it. 
Hey, uh, quick recommendation. Yeah. Quick, yeah, no. quick recommendation. A book called Wired for Intimacy by oh, William Struthers is really good. That book is so good. Yeah, it talks about all the stuff Pastor Matt just said, as mm-hmm. well as lays out really, really helpful habits for how to undo some of the neuro, yeah. you know, So one of the illustrations on. that he gives in that book is, think, think about like if you've ever hiked on a trail. What mm-hmm. makes a trail wider is the amount of times it's been traversed. Mm-hmm. And so as, 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 you, as you walk on that trail more and more, sooner or later, it becomes bigger and bigger and wider and wider. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens to your brain sexually. When you go to pornography, your brain, that trail to that stimulation becomes bigger and wider and wider. And then it wrecks when you need to go down another trail that you haven't traversed, that you haven't used. And so that's why um, you know, many of us have trained ourselves not to be monogamous and to not to be intimate with our spouses. And that's why we struggle with intimacy in those areas. So it's great, great book. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next question comes from Alicia who asked if you could expand a little bit on Bible translations. She says she grew up reading from NIV and new, the new King James version and often heard that those are the superior translations. She knows that sandals typically uses the NLT. And so she asks, since attending sandals, I have been using the NLT during my personal reading time because it's much easier to understand, but I'm losing, am I losing anything in this easier to read translation? Yeah. That's why I use it because it's easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand the fascination with the King James, and I don't understand the Catholics' fascination with the Latin Vulgate translation. I mean, many people don't know this, but Catholics, you know, up until like 1966 or 63, when you went to Mass, mm-hmm. they read it in, in Latin, because that's helpful, communicating to people right. in a language you can't even speak. And so um, I, there's just this fascination with the King James. And then the reason why I don't like the King James is because I, what I end up having to do is translate English into English. Mm-hmm. And that's just not helpful. It's mm-hmm. language changes. We, we don't use words. Words change. You know, all language is evolving. All language is changing. And so what the newer translations are trying to do is they're trying to update the English. They're not updating the Greek. The Greek is the Greek. That's what it is. And so, uh, you know, the NLT is not perfect, uh, but but I use it. I think it's great. And when it's not perfect, I'll I'll, I'll let you guys know. And and again, they're, they're they're trying to give you the thought of the text rather than word for word. So the ESV gives you a word for word understanding, or the NASB, but it's, it's so choppy and mm-hmm. it's 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 difficult to read, and your brain doesn't work that way. And so the reason I like the NLT is because it's translated in a way that we think, and I and I think it's great. So um, I'm sorry that you know they put that on you, but everybody's translating from the same text. The downside of the King James is um, we found different uh, ancient texts after the King James was translated. That's why there's the new King James because the new King James is translated on more up-to-date manuscripts. We found older, better manuscripts um, through study and collection. And mm-hmm. so the old King James, they're just, they didn't have some of the, the, the uh, manuscripts that they did the second time they translated. And so that's why you have the new King James. And I think that they update the English a little bit uh, I don't use the the new King James either. I do have one, but I don't, I don't use it. So, well, there you go. Uh, Rich says, "Can I be a Christian if I only believe the teachings of Jesus and not the miracles?" Why would you want to be a Christian? Hmm. I mean, if Jesus just has some cool thoughts, I don't know why you would follow him. Jesus says that the signs, the miracles that he do, are signs to who he is. So when he turns water into wine, right? That's not normal. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not normal. And that's why we worship him. That's why we pray to him. And so I just, I just don't know why um, you, you wouldn't want to accept those things. I mean, even his enemies acknowledge his um, miracles. They, they say he does it by the power of Satan. By right. Beelzebub is actually yeah. the word, that, but he means Satan. So they acknowledge that he's able to do these things, but they believe that he's manipulating 
magic or evil to bring about these good things. And Jesus says, that's ridiculous. But, you know, cause he's doing these things by God, but the things that Jesus did, I mean, that, that, that's the reason we worship him. We're worshiping Jesus. We're following Jesus because he did extraordinary things 2000 years ago. He wasn't just a great teacher. There've been many great teachers, but Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus fed 5,000. Jesus turned water into wine. You know, Jesus did these things over and over again. And the most substantial miracle, and here's why you can't believe that, is he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. So if you reject his resurrection, the apostle Paul says, if there is no resurrection, if Christ was not raised, then there's no point to being a Christian. Go live your life, do whatever you want. He says this, eat, drink for tomorrow we die. So there's no point in following Jesus if, he, if the most important miracle is the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And if you can believe in that, if you can believe in a dead guy who was in a tomb for three days coming back to life, I think there's room for water into wine. Mm-hmm. I think there's room for feeding a couple thousand people. I think mm-hmm. there's room for calming the storm. I mean, he did extraordinary things. And you got to remember, no one was as surprised by the miracles as the disciples. So when he calms the storm, he says, who is this that even the winds and the wave obey? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't understand. I mean, they don't get it. And they didn't fully understand Jesus until he rose from the dead. I mean, even that shocked them, even though he right. said it would happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, the miracles of Jesus have been something that's been attacked since the 19th century. And um, because the rise of science and the rise of medical understanding, they believed that miracles were impossible. And, I, and it's just um, a classic attack on scripture and really, you have to understand this. The reason that people attack the miracles is so that they could attack Jesus. And, uh, and, and I believe both. Mm-hmm. So, And I think the fact that miracles are impossible is kind of the point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good question, though. And, and I appreciate that. But, I mean, if you didn't rise from the dead, there, go do something else with your life. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Jonathan asks, in your message, Learning to Overcome Foolishness, you stated that we are not judgmental, but we give judgment. Can you please explain what this means? Yeah, so judgmental is an attitude of, uh, is a critical attitude. So you're, you're looking for ways to put people down and lift yourself up. So that's, that's what we mean when we say you're a judgmental person. Like you're constantly looking to uh, point out the imperfections in people's lives. That's not what we're called to do as Christians, but we do need to have judgment where we know what is right and what is wrong. You know, in a recent staff meeting, you talked to us about criticism versus critical thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think we live in a critical culture, but we don't live in a culture that is that no, can think critically. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to exercise critical thinking. And what that means is, is really work through, okay, what is right here? What is wrong? And I wish, you know, I wish I would have done this. I wish Christians would would do this over and over again. Um, because oftentimes um, we get in the way of sharing the gospel. And so, um, because sometimes, you know, what is right is on a collision course with where American culture is going. And so we stand up for what is right. And oftentimes that gets in the way of actually leading people to what is ultimately right, which is Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we have to really, really think critically, but we have to have judgment. Um, You know, so for example, um, I don't judge, you know, people who, enjoy wine, but I do need to have judgment about drunkenness. Mm-hmm. Drunkenness is never a good thing. It's never, it's never ever a good thing. I've been talking to my kids about this. Don't be around drunk people. Drunk people do stupid things. Like we follow that website. They do stupid yep. things. And, and oftentimes those stupid things affect you. Mm-hmm. So you need to have judgment. Um, you know, so for example, don't judge people who sleep around, but you need to judge for yourself that sleeping around is not right. See what I'm saying? So that, that's the difference. It's so being judgmental is, well, I think- um, So-and-so is bad. Yeah, People I think you, are, you're yeah, bad yeah. because you sleep around. Well, that's a judgmental attitude. Judgment is the Bible says that I'm to reserve myself sexually from my spouse. 
And so I'm going to have judgment. I'm going to know what's right and what's wrong. Um, I actually, I actually think that uh, here's one of the the real unfortunate things in uh, school today, especially you know at, at my alma mater, CBU. It used to be a liberal arts college, and, and one of the things you just don't get. If I was ever president of the college, here's the first day one that I'm changing. Every student is taking ethics and morality. Every student. It's a required class. If I could give it for free, because n- literally young people today have the morality of a baboon. They, 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 they have no ability to think about what's morally right, what's morally good. Our world, our world believes that moral goodness is being happy. Mm-hmm. God wants me to be happy. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes what we mean by happy is it feels good. Mm-hmm. So you need to have ethics, you need to have morals, and our, our young people have not been raised with that. They don't know how to pursue what is good, right, and true, and that's judgment. Mm-hmm. So Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is good, whatever is honorable, whatever is true, focus on these things. The problem is young people today don't know what is good. They don't know what is honorable and they don't know what is true. And guess what, guys? The Bible says we don't, only God does. God knows what's good. God knows what's moral. God knows what's true. And so that's why point number two in this weekend's message was God allows from our perspective, what is temporary evil from his perspective to bring about what is eternally good. Mm -hmm. And so the problem is we're trying to call moral shots against God when we don't even know what, what is good, right, and true is. Only God does. Jesus says this, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Only God is supremely good. Only God knows what is absolutely right all the time. We don't know that our moral compasses are off. And so here's the problem is, um, we, we, you know, we're not virtuous creatures anymore. And mm-hmm. so again, we judge, you know, we, we judge the Old Testament, we judge the Bible, like we, we all judge, um, ancient cultures and, and we look at them. And so, yeah, so ancient cultures were racist and in America they had slavery, but they were virtuous in far other areas. So let me just say something about, you know, our older American culture, right? So in the night, if you, if you grew up in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, you were probably racist. That's terrible, awful, and ugly. But you know what else you probably were? Charitable, mm-hmm. generous, and courageous. Every single charitable organization in America today is going under. Why? Because we're all so enlightened, we've lost charity. Mm-hmm. We, we were not charitable, we're not generous. We, we've lost that virtue because we don't know what is moral, right, and true. But we're all gonna march and we're gonna talk about one area of racism, which, or, or, or one sin racism, which is right. Yeah, absolutely. But what about all these other things? What, 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 whatever is good, mm-hmm. whatever is right, whatever is true, focus on these things. And so, um, you know, young people today don't feel like they have to be a part of an organization. They don't feel like they have to give their time. They don't feel like they should have to give their money. Why? Because this generation lacks virtues in many, many areas. And so here's what the ancient philosophers taught. In order to be virtuous, you have to have all the virtues. You can't neglect one. And so our culture is fixated on racial reconciliation, which I think is a good thing, but you can't abandon all of these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, charitable institutions are just completely falling apart and they're falling by the wayside because people are into themselves, into their phones, into their own world and culture and, and we're not caring for each other and, so, and, and loving each other. So I just think that there needs to be more ethical training and more moral training. And we need to wrestle, every single human being needs to wrestle with what's right, what's good, what's moral, what's true. How about you just do that? Mm-hmm. 
How about you just do that? And so, um, like, you know, in our politics right now, you know, with the Democrats and the Republicans, they're constantly calling each other evil. Well, rather than throwing mud at each other, why don't we have a real conversation about what's moral, what's right, what's good, and what's true? Mm-hmm. Well, let's do that. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's just, again, people don't know how to do that. They don't have a good ethical moral standard. That is called judgment. You are able to discern, to know, to, to rationalize with your brain, your brain, your brain, <laughs> your brain, what is, what is the good, right, and true thing in this situation? And so here, here's where, you know, gets in trouble. So let's say I, I go somewhere, I'm not with my wife and I encounter a female who's very, very attractive and she's attracted to me. And, and we get caught up in that moment. So do I go with my feelings in the moment? Mm-hmm. Or, that was me. Mm-hmm. Was not me yeah. saying yes. Yes, go no, no. Yes, go or me or, tracking or with you. do I step back and say, okay, what's good, right, moral, and true? Do that one. Judgment is how am I going to feel about this in ten minutes? Mm-hmm. How am I going to feel about this in fifty minutes? Because you can throw your marriage away in ten minutes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. ten minutes done. So you got to step back and you got to say, okay, what is what is the good, right, moral, and true thing? And the world says, well, I want to be happy. Yeah, and guess what? People's pursuit of happiness has brought a lot of hell in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Right. So sounds like kind of judge being judgmental is focused on others, maybe, mm-hmm. and showing judgment or exercising good judgment is about yourself and your own life. I would say it's issues and self-focused. Okay. Uh, judgmental attitude is others focused. Got it. It's saying you you should be doing this. And so, you know, don't don't ask what you you know, don't don't be focused on should, be focused on what's good, right, and true. What 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 is the right thing to do here? Um, and then try to do that to the best of your ability. What is the best thing that I can do in this situation? And again, who tells us what's the best is? It's not our laws. It's not our culture. It's not our friends. It's God. Mm-hmm. It's God's word. And um, we, we've got to know. We've got to know God's word. And so, how do I treat people? How do I love people? How do I follow them? And again, I know that that's difficult. The difference between being judgmental and having judgment. But you need to be solid on what's good, right, and true. You need to know those things. You need to, you know, fix those things out. And, and, and again, talk, talk with people about, you know, why you have the hope and, and the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, but don't judge them. You want to point them to Jesus, man. There's, Jesus is good, right, and true. He's perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. So try to point them to Jesus. All right, this next question comes in from Joey who gets a prize. He's the first person to write in a question from the Real Workshops. Whoa. That was your prize, by the way. That was, that was great. Yeah, ring that bell. He <laughs> says, in one of the real workshops, which, by the way, are, if you're not a part of Sandals Church or you're new to the last couple of weeks, real workshops are a great way to get tools, tricks, figure out how to actually live and be real. They happen pretty much every location, every single weekend, during every single service. You can get all the information online at sandalschurch.com slash workshops. So Joey says, in one of the real workshops, we were challenged to let others know about our relationship with Christ. I've always been a quiet person and I don't naturally initiate or maintain a conversation, let alone a conversation about something as deep as knowing Christ. Any advice for those of us who are socially awkward? Yeah, thank you for recognizing that of yourself. Again, you're living out the vision mm-hmm. and some of us just are socially awkward. And again, Socially awkward. What did I say? Well, it, in my ears, it sounded a little bit like sexually awkward. Oh. I don't know, maybe... It, it, Socially awkward. I feel like this was a socially awkward yeah, moment. So, just got, brought to you by Justin Party. Yeah, Self-declared. You. Socially awkward yeah, guy. So again, I, here's what I would encourage you to do is just say, God, if there's an opportunity where you want me to share my faith, I want you to impress upon me that, that that's my opportunity. So that's what I would encourage you to do. I think some of us are better suited to do that, better able to do that. And um, 
and I get it, it's scary, man. I was at, I was at the, the vigil last night and um, it, it was a difficult situation, but my job is to declare the gospel because I had the opportunity and I was given the invitation to do that. So I did it and I get that it's scary, whatever. So you have to work through, is this my own fears and my own insecurities? Um, or, you know, is that what this is? Or is this legitimately, God has not gifted me to do this. And so I need to be really, really careful about when, how, and where I do that. And mm-hmm. and so I just would encourage you to work that out. And so I just appreciate your your honesty and your authenticity about some natural social struggles that you have and just know that we love you. But part of growing in Christ, and this is why I wanted you to go through the worships is growing in relationship. Mm-hmm. So you need to get better. As you get better in your relationship with Christ, you're gonna get better in your relationships with others. That's part of the healing process. God wants to heal our relational brokenness. And so, um, and I, I would get into you know a group or get with some people who are good at it mm-hmm. and, and figure out and learn from them how, how to share your faith. And so there is no one way carbon copy to share your faith because every single individual needs to be reached where they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm trying to find the sermon. It was uh, your second sermon in the other series, God's Recipe to End Racism, where you had a whole chunk in there in the middle just about being normal, trying to be normal. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I was doing when I first started to try and be more intentional about just talking to people in the regular everyday life was just be friendly and smile and say, how are you? Things like that. Uh, not just nod at people silently <laughs> or whatever, but just ask a simple life-based question. So it was the first person that I tried to strike up a conversation mm-hmm. with. Turned out to be, he worked at another church here in town. So it was mm-hmm. like, God was helping me out. My first person was <laughs> already a Jesus friend. Yeah, and just know when you're a quiet person and you do speak up, people listen. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So you have no idea how mm-hmm. powerful your words are yeah. versus someone like me who's always talking. I like your words are powerful Thank though. Thank you. Ooh, Stephanie. Yeah. Well, there we go. So this question <laughs> came in. You know what? Why don't you, you should... Let's hear some of your powerful words. Wow, thank you. Uh, This question comes in from Anonymous, who says, my fiance and I have been together for six years. We have two children and got engaged after having our kids. We've been coming to Sandals for a little over a year now. And after your sermon on Sunday, we're wondering how we should proceed with intimacy until we're married. Yeah. The sermon on Sunday they were referring to is... a few weeks ago, probably. The one on sex. The end of back to school. Yep. Yeah, I would encourage you to get in marriage counseling here at Sandals Church. We have incredible people. And so, I mean, you're basically already living like you're married. So make the covenant before God and before your kids. They need to, they need to know what a real real Christian marriage looks like. And mm-hmm. so it's important, just like when we come to Christ that it's public, it's important that when we get married, it's public. It needs to be in front of somebody. Mm-hmm. So you need to let them know. So we can do that at church. There's wonderful people. And what I would do is I would abstain from intimacy for a period of time. And again, oftentimes the issue with marriages is people feel like they have to have this big old parade, big old ceremony and spend all of this money that you don't have. Yeah. You guys don't need to do that. You're already living like you're married. Invite some friends, invite some family. Mm-hmm. You know, s- spend you know a hundred or two hundred bucks on, I don't know, I don't know El Pollo Loco, man. It's just you know, it's mm-hmm. not a lot of money. It's tasty food. Mm-hmm. I got Good your attention there. Yeah. We'll be there. If you, yeah, if you want. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and get married, and just and just know that that's an important way. You guys got mm-hmm. it backwards a little bit. So you you got you've got sexual intimacy and you've got children. But God's blessed those children. God loves those children. Now let's dedicate your family to Christ. And the way that you do that is by getting married. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't, well, you just got married. How much was the certificate? It's like 50 bucks, 25 bucks. Oh, the like marriage license? Mm-hmm. I think like 75. Oh, yeah, they're, crank, they're cranking yeah. it up. Yeah. Government's cracking down on us. Yeah, but. so sorry, 75 bucks. Um, you know, and if you don't have that kind of money, man, we could do like a little debrief fundraiser. 
Oh, so yeah. There you go. You can uh, get information all about that, sandalschurch.com slash marriage, if you want to get into our classes. And in the process, we would love yeah. to help you out. Yeah, and our premarital classes are great for you know people any for any stage in your relationship looking to get married. There was a couple in my premarital class who had a baby and you know already had to get together and working through that. And the content was great for every single person in that class, no matter where you're at in your relationship or whether you have kids already or not. Yeah, so, and we're, we're not, we're not, here, to, we're not okay. here to judge you, but we're here to give you relational judgment. Yep. Oh. Ooh, I see what you there did there. Yeah. It's kind of like a throwback to mm-hmm. yeah, the question, question that you just answered. Yeah. I'm just clarifying wow, that for at, other people. Yeah, it's, they it's probably really didn't good. get it. So. Yeah. Well, we got one last question. Let's see if we can do any of these real tight little throwbacks, foreshadowing, reverse foreshadowing, all that kind of stuff. This one comes from Savannah. On my commutes in Riverside in the Inland Empire, I often see people standing by stoplights or outside of my post office with their please help signs. How should we regard people who are asking for help on the side of the roads? Yeah, I, this is and this is going to be controversial. I don't think you help them by giving them money at all. Now, having said that, if the Holy Spirit, if you know, prompts you to give, give. But I think I think you're wasting your money. I think there's excellent government programs. The church is a part of great programs here in our city to help people. And I don't think you're helping people by just giving them money on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. There, there are great there are great ways to help people, and they need to get in those programs. They need to get help. That's what they need is they need real help. And so, um, you know, if you want to do something and and really make a difference, I would encourage you to give money to, uh, what is it, downtown? Path, Path of Life. Path of Life. Yes. Path of Life, homeless shelter. There are wonderful, wonderful programs where people can get counseling. They can get help with drug addiction. They can get help with mental illness. And give your money to those organizations because they're going to help the whole person. Mm-hmm. And um, it is those organizations that are going to help get those people off the street and get them cleaned up and get them the help that they need. But I just really, really encourage you. But one thing I would say, and, and here's what I've been doing lately, especially if it's a younger person, because I've been seeing younger and younger homeless people. I try to strike up a conversation because there's there's still a lot of hope for them. Mm-hmm. They can still change their life and, um, and, and really, really redirect them and try to have a spiritual conversation. And if that includes buying them lunch and sitting down and have a conversation and showing some love, that's that's fine. But what's going to help change them and, and redirect them is really, really people caring about them and loving them and, and coming alongside them. And so mm-hmm. our mayor, Rusty Bailey, is really, really trying some really cool stuff mm-hmm. to try to help homeless people get employed, get some work, um, and get some you know, some, some uh, job training under their belt so that they can get some help. And so just, just really try to discern that. But I, I don't think, I, I don't give money to those people anymore. If I'm going to, it's going to involve a conversation. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a conversation. I'm not just going to give you uh, five bucks or a buck or whatever else. And so, uh, and again, some people give the 50 cents because it makes them feel charitable. You know, my wife and I give thousands of dollars mm-hmm. uh, a year to charity mm-hmm. because we want to make real differences. And the first charity that I give to is my church. Yeah. And, um, and then we support missionaries and then we also help, you know, programs. I want to help programs that are going to help people. And so uh, I think that's important. Totally. Yeah. Sandals Church, by the way, has a relationship with Path of Life. Oh, there's people from our church who go to that shelter uh, here in downtown Riverside twice a week. I think we've got dinner at the shelter, Mm -hmm. as well as at some of our other locations. There's really cool stuff like that. And our soul care ministries Mm -hmm. and things are literally preventing people from falling into homelessness every single week. Did we give Path of Life? A couple years ago? Yeah, it was like 20 20 grand. We gave them $20,000 to help build a kitchen Mm -hmm. to serve. Uh, homeless people. So, so our church is actively involved in that, but I think the best way to help homeless people is to get them in a program. Mm-hmm. That's the best way. Uh, if you just simply give them cash, you're really just kind of perpetuating mm-hmm. their problem and their challenge. And so um, there, are, there are, I'm telling you, there are tons of programs in our city to help those people. Yeah. And they, most of them know where they are. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. 
Well, there you go. That was a good show. There's all kinds of stuff, man. These show notes are going to be packed. They sure are. So you can check those out at debrief.show slash 83. We'll have links to the books that we talked about on there, some past messages that we talked about, all kinds of great stuff on there. So you can check that out. Boom. Next week is going to be a good show. We're going to have fan favorite, friend of the show, Mrs. Tammy Brown back with us. Whoa. I'd say she might be more than friends with some people on the show. Well, that's right. S- spouse of the show. But of the show itself, <laughs> she's show a, de- a good friend. She's our, she's a good friend. Friend. Your wife. And we're going to talk about uh, all, all kinds of stuff. The 20-year history of Sandals Church. Crazy. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. It's going to yeah. be a good episode. We love having her on the show. So get ready for that. And if you want to support Sandals Church, uh, really lay the foundation for the next 20 years, you can do wow. so by texting in Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. That's Give Debrief, two separate words, to 951-900-4120. You know what we should do is we should make Give Debrief as one word also work. That way I don't have to say two separate words every time. That just popped in my head. And That's I'm good. Saying it out loud, it's just a mental note. Okay. That yeah. sounds great. We'll do that. And if you want to follow along with what we're doing uh, all throughout the week, you can follow us at Debrief Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll post quotes from the show there, links to episodes, all kinds of great throwback episodes on there. If you have questions you want to send in for Pastor Matt and Tammy about what has happened over the last 20 years of Sandals Church, we would love to get Ooh. those or any of your follow-up questions on the show. You can send those in at debrief.show or by sending us a message on Facebook, and we would love to get your questions on the show. Excellent. And uh, you've been sipping on that Key Lime LaCroix this episode from producer Carl. How are you feeling? I'm just tired. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But the, D- but D- the LaCroix. People, I love you guys. The key, but I was, the key Lime. Though. I was at that vigil thing till like midnight last night. I'm just crashing. Oh, yeah. When you get old, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to recover. Mm. I didn't mean to say that you're getting old. Yeah, you just I'm lack judgment. Well, that, you literally just said when you're mm. getting old. You just <laughs> lack judgment, and I'm going to exercise judgment by terminating <laughs> your contract. Well, see you guys. What do you think? Key lime. Oh, it's delicious. It's isn't amazing, it isn't it? Does yeah. it remind you of Skittles? It's a little, yeah, Skittles. It reminds you of Skittles and, and pie. actual pie. Yeah, real pie. It's mm. like they took took a beautiful pie from Coco's, Marie Callender's, wherever you get a beautiful pie. They liquefied, liquefied it all. You were doing so good in your description. And then you hit like a hurdle and just fell. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to... You were running for Olympic gold. You were running for Olympic gold. There is no immediate word that comes to mind for the process of taking a pie and turning it into a beverage. So... I had to take a while Clearly, to get to Clearly, there liquefy. is a process liquefy. because... Oh, we have found yeah. it. LaCroix, LaCroix has found it. Key lime. Mm. Key lime. Oh, it's so good.